That, that was going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell. And we're back in live. I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week. Well, uh, John Allen, thanks for being on the show. Nice to be here. It's not exactly a skiing day here, anyway. Not not in New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you uh, do work at the New England Ski Museum. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what you do? Well, I've been the historian for the museums really since it began, um, and it actually opened in 1982. So I've been there a very long time, um, and. I, I do, did various things. Um, I looked after the library, for example, for a long time, and then uh, and I helped write articles and stuff like that for the journal and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there is a New England Ski Museum journal. Um, the New England Ski Museum, for those who don't know, is based in uh, Franconia, New Hampshire, right by Cannon Mountain. And um, so what kind of uh, got you into being a ski historian? Uh, no, I can. Okay. Maybe the short version of it. <laughs> you, do you want the short version? The short version, uh, yeah. Okay. In 1976, I was on a sabbatical in Austria, and that was the when I was actually living uh, in Axams, and uh, part of the Olympic Games took place in the Axam Elitsum. Anyhow, I saw a exhibition of old skiing prints in Innsbruck, and there were about 50 of them. Some were woodcuts back into the 16th century, and I just couldn't believe what I was looking at because it was just nothing like skiing was at all in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And I got intrigued, and uh, I tried very hard to find out if anything had been written about uh, about skiing. And I discovered that other than you know odd reports in newspapers here and there, uh, there had been nothing written at all. And so, so, and at that stage, I was having trouble. Um, I was supposed to be writing another book uh, on on diplomacy, and I was having trouble with that, and it wasn't going very well. And so these two sort of things meshed that I gave up the one thing and then found this niche, which nobody else seemed to seemed to be filling. Yeah. And as a result, um, I started writing articles and going to meetings and uh, came out with a couple of books here and there mm -hmm. uh, on the on the history of skiing. And that's really what, I, what I'm still playing at. So basically, um, I want people to understand, like, the importance of your work. Because I remember, um, you know, when I was doing – I did a, an episode on the, the history of American slalom. And I realized that there are really only a handful of people in the U.S. who know all this history. And I want to emphasize the importance of the New England Ski Museum. You think you could tell people, like, you know, how few ski racing historians and museums there are in the U.S. and, and, um, and kind of what you do with your articles every, um, you know, every time they come out? Yeah. Um... I just I've just published a a little booklet and I'll get it sent to you um, yeah. about museums ski museums around the world actually um, and so it lists all the basically all the museums that there are 
Uh, and in the United States, just starting from the east, there's the one in Maine. Uh, the New England Ski Museum actually has a has, a, has two museums now, one in North Conway as well as Franconia. Okay. There is a there is a um, small display uh, at Adams, Massachusetts, by the uh, Mount Greylock. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you move into Vermont. There's one museum in uh, Stowe. And then Hunter Mountain in New York State has a few uh, old skis on display. Then you move out to the Midwest to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where the National Ski Hall of Fame is. And then you move further west still and you come to um, there's a, the Colorado Ski Museum in, in Vail, of course. And then there is a what they call the Pioneer, the Pioneer Museum up in Steamboat. Um, and then further west still, uh, up in the northwest, there is a sort of, a, uh, how do you say, I'm not quite sure how you say this, but there's a museum uh, on Snoqualmie Pass. And then in California, there used to be what was the Western Ski Sport Museum at the Donner Pass at uh, Soda Spring. Uh-huh. That, that is now closed, but there are... Um, so there are... There, there, there is a small museum at Lake Tahoe, mm-hmm. and that and the Western Ski Sport Museum and the amount of money that is being collected are going to produce, I think, um, basically a Squaw uh, Valley Museum, which is going to sort of double as, a, as an Olympic museum as well. Oh, very cool. Well, the, the reason we have you here today is to talk about the invention of ski racing. So to start at the, at the very beginning, you know, um, I know that cultures around the world uh, have used skis for various means, um, you know, going back, I don't know, right. thousands of years? Um, thousands of years. Thousands yes. of years. Um, but, the Chinese are presently uh, claiming that they that skiing started uh, in the Altai Mountains. Um, they're not quite sure when, but between ten and 20,000 years ago. Did you uh, say that... Did you say the they, Chinese? Yes, the Chinese. They don't have any. They don't have any real proof of that, but mm-hmm. they do have um, some rock drawings and that type of thing, which are extremely difficult to date. Um, but so far, the general opinion appears to be that those drawings come from about five or no, about seven or eight thousand years ago, and we do have actually an artifact, um, not from there, but from northern uh, Russia around Lake Ladoga, where there a number of old um, wooden artifacts have, have turned up, amongst which is a, um, a tip of a ski. And underneath this, underneath this tip has been carved the, an elk's head. And that, uh, according to the archaeologist who, um, who found it, and it was found back in the 1960s, but nobody ever really knew about it, um, until the 1990s, but the archaeologist who who found it thinks that the elk's head was both a symbol of speed, um, and secondly, it was also a, a way of of being allowing the skier to actually break his skis. All you had to do was to sort of you know push your ski a little bit forward and upward, and and the elk's head would would hit the snow and therefore would would stop you um you know if you were going too fast and so on interesting uh, and there are there are some really magnificent uh, drawings of that too I, does i don't know whether your podcast shows drawings or not does it no it doesn't but um 
maybe we could we could put something up online. Yeah. So yeah. I want to talk about now. So you know the Chinese and the Russians. And, yeah. But who do you know? Do you know who started? I mean, who knows? Maybe the Chinese and the Russians put sticks in the ground and skied around them. But who really started to, you know, make a sport out of it? And um, I guess huh. it starts with the invention of stopwatches. But who started timing these things? Well, uh, the stopwatch is very is, is is although it was used for skiing comparatively late. The the way that skiing racing skiing started was first of all as a kind of a folk occupation. For uh, for example, the Swedes used to race from one church to another. This was cross country. It wasn't the sort of racing that you guys do. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're talking about downhill racing mm -hmm. uh, and slalom racing. Uh, that began in the very late uh, 19th century in Europe um, and had a variety of, of beginnings. So you can know, you cannot put your finger on one particular event, but you can, or that, you know, so saying from there, racing starts to take place. But um, there was the, there was a various how should I say, inventions of types of races. Um, some, for example, early slaloms, what we consider slalom, early slaloms were sometimes called bending racing, races. And this was because you bent yourself around a series of, of poles or sticks or perhaps fir trees mm -hmm. that were sort of planted in the, in the ground. Um, the word slalom is, a, is a Norwegian word. Uh, the word lam in Norwegian means track and slow means a sort of a slope. And Nor Norwegians, when they had competitions, which they did from the la in the latter part of the 19th century, when they had competitions, their ideal was to be an all-rounder so that a, a run, a course, uh, a race would start sort of at the top somewhere and probably be a number of cross country, maybe even a kilometer or two. Then it would go down through some woods that you'd have to go around the trees and then it would come out onto a field and you'd do more cross country. And then perhaps there would be a little rock or two and you'd jump off that. And then you'd come to the bottom and maybe make a couple of turns around either some more trees or rocks or something. And that would be the race. Um, and very quickly, what happened, I mean, really quite quickly, what happened was that uh, the jump became um, the most spectacular thing to watch. And as a result, it was sort of singled out of the race and became a, a kind of uh, performance all by itself. Um, you don't find in America that sort of idea of the all around racing um, mm -hmm. very much at all. There's a couple of pictures of it um, in out in Michigan and so on, but the, that's very, the kind of the Nordic combined sort of thing. That, that yes, sort of yeah. yes. Although you know the, the people did not use the word Nordic. Don't you know the word Nordic and Alpine? Mm -hmm. The division between the two, the cross country or the downhill, doesn't doesn't really appear an until alpine skiing appears and that doesn't really appear until uh, the 1920s and but more particularly in the in the 1930s okay so skiing or cross-country skiing or nordic skiing that was all that there was okay until you get this uh, development of, of alpine skiing and you can find for example the uh, 
uh, I think the changes in equipment where um, things like the development of the steel edge, uh, which was patented in 1927 by, by an Austrian, <clears throat> first of all, but things like the, the steel edge, um, you, you know, creates the possibility of putting your, putting your ski on edge and yeah. making a very different sort of turn from the fact that when you don't have any edges, then you swoosh your ski around um, in the best manner that you can. Okay. Um, so and, I have a quick and, question about the equipment. So yeah. when they were doing this sort of all-round racing in Norway in the late 19th century um, and then kind of moving up through towards uh, the 1920s when the, when the metal edge came in, was it a free heel? Were, they, were there heels coming out of the skis even on the downhill skiing? Oh, yes. Yeah. But there, there, there wasn't there, there wasn't. There wasn't any equipment that was especially for cross country or especially for jumping or especially for uh, for downhill racing. It was all the same sort of stuff, okay. and it was pretty primitive too. Some some ski makers and some ski valleys in Norway became quite well known because <clears throat> because their skis seemed to be the ones that uh, that that were part of the winners. Um, uh, equipment mm -hmm. and you you sort of get to know the telemark turn um and uh, uh you know a sort of a technique develops which is associated with a valley uh and christiania associated with the um with the with the city of christiania that, that was what oslo was called before uh, before it became oslo in 1925 oh okay so when did um, organized races start happening? When when was it a you know kind of a real a sport in the sense of organization? Um, somewhat depends on who you ask. If you ask people from Kitzbühel, for example, they will say one thing. If you ask people from England, they will say another. Um, but, but if you're looking for what used to be called down mountain racing, not downhill. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're looking for slalom, you can put a date, oh, let's say 1922 on it. Mm -hmm. The Austrians will object very strongly because they want to tell you that in 1905, one of their leading instructors, a guy called Zdarsky, started a um, an 85 gate slalom down a, down a hill at a place called uh, uh, Lilienfeld. Um, but it wasn't really a, a slalom race in the sense that we think of it. Um, the way that modern slalom uh, started was the fact that it had to do with, with ski mountaineering. You may find this a little curious, but um, the ski mountaineer uses his skis to, to climb up the mountain. And mountains, and we're talking Switzerland here, mm. and mountains usually start off by having to go through the woods and then you get to the tree line and then above the tree line there is the expanse open expanse um, which leads to the summit as a result downhill racing or down mountain racing came to be pretty much as straight as you could go as fast as you could go from top to the tree line uh -huh. but when you got to the tree line you had to go between and among the trees. And as a result, that idea of tree running developed into uh, putting 
first of all, boughs and sticks and so on in mm-hmm. the, in a slope. And then, so that was kind of the it's evolution it's, it's, of uh, downhill, the the race the yeah. tree line, and then slalom the race through the trees. That's correct. And so the so that's really why or how you begin to get two. Uh, two, we use the term disciplines now, don't we? How you get two disciplines out of out of this alpine out of this alpine skiing, and to begin with, um, um, oh, as early as 1913, one of the people who were most uh, involved in sort of promoting this type of thing was Arnold Lunn, a Brit, and. He used to spend all his winters and so on in Switzerland, and um, that's one of the reasons why he got inter- interested in skiing. But um, but he was the one that sort of said, you know, the best the best test of a skier uh, was if he wanted to turn, wanted to have him turning, was to put sticks in the snow, and then came trees, and then came uh-huh. then came poles, and then finally came flags, and then came the <clears throat> the very modern um, breakaway. Uh-huh. Type, type of uh, poles, um, but you had two two definite things: the, the slalom was one thing, and then the downhill was another. And uh-huh. then what was that he couldn't figure out how you could make it, uh, uh, how you could make it a a real competition because. If you had, let's say, 30 people running a competition on a slalom course, obviously the conditions in the first, uh, the, for the first guy, would be very different from the from the 30th. Yeah. So, so he he tried to have uh, a variety of of ways to, um, you know, the the guy that came first, uh, the guy that ran first in the first of the set slaloms ran last in the second of the slaloms, and so on. But I mean, it wasn't very satisfactory. Um, so now I'm curious. So when did, um, I want to know the dates of, you know, when I know, I know that fist had its 50th anniversary a few years ago. So it's, it's, uh, from the sixties, it was first started the Federation of international skiing. Where, when did races start in the U S when was ski racing becoming a big thing? Not a big thing, but just when did races start in the U S 1924, 25, 25, really. Okay. And that that happened at Dartmouth, at Hanover. I mean, I'm not talking cross-country. Yeah, downhill racing. Until, yeah. No, because that was way before that. Uh, <clears throat> I'm talking now Alpine. Mm-hmm. Um, 1925, I think, was the first the first um, downhill. Or 27, I think, was the first downhill down Mount Musselok, which was Dartmouth's own mountain. Yep. And they had a, a slalom uh, in... Uh, uh, in Hanover, I think that year too. And, and again, you don't want to think of either of those terms, uh, those those races as anything like what you uh, what you have today. There was just nothing like that at all. Um, there is an account, for example, of an early downhill race down Musselock, down the down the run there, which is about two and two two and a half, two and three quarter mile long. And, you know, a couple of guys went off pretty much at the same corner and got tangled up in the trees and then they undid themselves. And then one guy, he, he, he 
He gets in his pocket, pulls out a flask and says, why don't we have a nip here together? You know, and so they have a have a little brandy together and then they then they carry on. And, you know, they finish halfway in the field. They, they, they are they are they are they're halfway down the field. Yeah. I mean, they don't care. This is not this is not racing like we know it at yeah. all. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> and when they started the, the, the slalom in in um, in Hanover, basically it was trying to recapture what the Brits were doing in uh, in Switzerland. And indeed, uh, the guy that started it was a was a professor at at, um, um, at Dartmouth. At Dartmouth. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it was um, physics professor Proctor, and he had um, he had studied the English the, the yearbook of the British Ski Club's yearbook, in which the various rules of slalom racing had been written out, and so nobody else really knew what the hell was going on, uh, and certainly the the people who were watching it, particularly the newspaper people, they didn't have the faintest clue what was doing, um, but it but it it developed into largely because of the importance of the of the college crowd uh it developed into the alpine skiing became a became a very important part of american ski history in the late 1920s but more especially in the 1930s because by that time there were enough people who had graduated from the colleges that skied which Mm -hmm. in the east were dartmouth williams yale harvard bu University of New Hampshire, Middlebury, University of Vermont. Um, and, I probably missed out a few. And those and those colleges had ski teams. Yes, they did. Okay. Oh, yes. And, and so that's an when the sport started getting bigger. Is when those students graduated from those colleges. That, and then they joined. They joined uh, clubs, or founded clubs. Mm-hmm. were really kind of extensions of of their of their sort of college athletic life and the, some some of them were even called things like the Dar- Dartmouth Outing Club Boston for um that is they they sort of almost continued their their outing their collegiate outing club activities in the same manner when they when they became businessmen um uh, and and some of them had been really pretty prominent um, Roland Palmetto for example was one of the stars of the Williams outing club team uh, and he became um, absolutely key in the development of American skiing um, uh, he, he from, a, from a personal point of view he virtually founded the American women's uh, Alpine team in 1935 to send them off to Europe. Uh, he, he bankrolled the 1936 team, send them to the Olympic Games. He was the one who was the major uh, founder and money raiser for the uh, ch- ch- the longest chair at Stowe, for example, in 1940. And um, he was sort of a man of all seasons. Um, but he came out of the out of uh, Williams uh, College, uh, mm-hmm. and that gave him a start. A man like Alec Bright, for example, the same same sort of thing. Harvard. Um, these are very wealthy people. They're 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 they're, they're extremely wealthy, and uh, they want to want to do something sort of you know decent and keep their keep their college lives going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, you know, back in the day, it was it was it seems like it was a very it was the same way where 
there's a whole lot of buzz about the newest extreme sport nowadays. It seems like skiing or ski racing, downhill ski racing, was kind of this new, extreme, exciting sport. That's true. Um, and, it, and it had a couple of, rather like today too, it had a couple of names that became synonymous with, with the sort of the excitement of downhill. And the most important of those was a guy called Dick Durrance. Um, he, uh, he'd actually learned his skiing mostly in Germany. He'd been in Germany at, at Garmisch Partenkirchen in high school. And he came back when he was 18 or 17 or 18, I can't remember, and uh, got into the Newport High School, uh, virtually won everything as a high schooler. Dartmouth got hold of him. Uh, he represented uh, the United States when he was in Dartmouth, like a lot of other Dartmouth people did uh, in the 1936 Olympic Games, and of course would have in the 1940 had they been, had they been held. Um, and he trained uh, ski troops out at Alter in 1942, 43, um, was involved with the development of Aspen. You, you know, these are, are major players in the, in the, in the, in the scene here. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, so now I'm um, kind of looking at, you know, so the Olympics um, had ski racing, alpine ski racing in them before it uh, was made into, you know, FIS. So when did FIS start well, and, well, and how did no, that I'm, happen? Uh, okay, let, let, me, let me correct one thing you said. That is, there was no alpine ski racing in the Olympics until 1936. Okay. Up until, uh, you know, the, the, the Olympic Games, the first Olympic Games in 1924 was not really the Olympic Games. That was only retroactively called the Olympic Games. And the reason that that happened in 1924 was because the Norwegians particularly did not want to sort of let uh, their sport, as they considered it, um, out in what the hell they were doing, you know. So, however, in 1925, they came around to it and, and... the 24 games at Chamonix uh, were the first Olympics. Then came the ones at Saint Moritz in 28. Then came the ones at Lake Placid in 32. And up until that time, they were only Nordic, uh, Nordic events, cross country and jumping. There were no women. There were no women's ski events in 1936 at the Nazi Games in Garmisch-Partenkirchen. Um, there were downhill uh, slalom, both for men and for women. So the, the the change that comes uh, in one sense can be internationally can be symbolized between 1932 and 19 and 1936. <clears throat> so it's only in 1936 that you get Olympic downhill and mm-hmm. uh, and slalom competition. Okay, gotcha. And then when did the modern FIS um, organization oh, okay. come about? Uh, 1924. Um, oh, it did. Okay, I thought it was yeah. later. No, no, no. But prior to that time, um, uh, how shall I say? In in nineteen ten, or by by nineteen ten, the Norwegians were getting worried enough about international skiing to wonder what on earth the other Europeans were doing to what they considered their sport. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I must explain that that 
prior to 1910, um, skiing became something that was bound up with Norwegian nationalism. And it was because largely uh, Norway was under the under the control of Sweden and didn't become free from Sweden until 1905 that skiing became such a nationalistically supported um, sport. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't think of it as sport, by the way. They, the Norwegian word is idret, and although it's always translated as sport, it means um, much more than that. It's a cultural thing where okay. you do the, the 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 actions of the ancestors out of doors, and it'll give you a healthy body. And in that healthy body, you will have a healthy mind, and you will then pass all these good things on to your wife, your fam- your family, your village, your kith, your kin, even your country. And it seemed to be true. Uh, when Norway became became free from uh, from Sweden in 1905. So anyway, that time in 1905 in the rest of Europe, a lot of people were skiing, and the Norwegians didn't really know what to think about it. Uh-huh. There was the Zadarsky character that I mentioned already, uh, running his 85 gate slalom. Even <clears throat> you know. So anyway, they sent a. They sent somebody down to find out, uh, Norwegian down to find out. Five years later, they called a conference, the International Commission for Skiing in 1910 in Oslo, in, in uh, Christiania, as it was then. And as a re- and they had the Holman Collin jump by then, which was sort of a piece of all this. And all the representatives from the European countries, I won't say all of them, uh, the United States didn't send one largely because it was too far away and they probably didn't have enough money or time and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, they, most of the, the, the skiing countries sent people to this, to this conference. And in that conference, they, uh, the Norwegians uh, created a, 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 an organization really to sort of lay out what sort of rules and regulations there should be, because they were discovering that people didn't really have different, had similar ways of counting jumping, for example. They had no real ways of of measuring time. Um, you can find in the, even in the 1920s, for example, Arnold Lund will sort of set his watch by the, by the, train um, by the train uh, uh, clock in the village below Mürren, ride up on the train, start his race at the top uh, using the watch that he'd used uh, to coordinate with the with the railway clock. You know, things uh-huh. like that. Gotcha. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, um, definitely. And, it, uh, it, and, and so there's a, there's a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sort of organization that goes on. And these Norwegians caused, they, they ran the conference and mm-hmm. they ran the conference annually uh, until the First World War. Uh, that was 1914, mm-hmm. when, of course, everything sort of, in one sense, closed down. Um, and so after the war, war lasted until 1918. Uh, in in the 1920s, early 20s, there was sort of talk about what sort of events might uh, come into the Olympic Games in winter, and the Norwegians were adamantly against this. Um, um, if you're intrigued by this sort of thing, I wrote an article in a book on exact 
what I'm talking about now, uh, which I can I can send you the the, the details of that. But the, the, the Norwegians were really against this and said, "Well, we're not going to we're not going to join any any Olympic movement uh, uh, at all because you're you're just sort of spoiling our spoiling our sport." Mm-hmm. And um, little by little, um, they they came around sort of to agreeing to something or other. And as they said, as long as you don't call the 1924. Uh, winter week at Chamonix Olympic Games, then we will come along. And Mm -hmm. indeed, they did come along, and indeed, they won just about everything. And then there there came a sort of a a realization that the racers and the jumpers wouldn't mind going into the Olympics at all, and the people who didn't like it were the people who were in charge of of this sort of organization of Norwegian Uh Norwegian skiing, huh. so they, they 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 had a sort of a, a tough road to hoe for um, for a couple of couple of years there, okay. and then in 1924 um, there was a uh, there was the the formation of the Fédération Internationale de Ski uh, called French called in its French uh, term largely because um, they happened to be in France. And lo and behold, who who gets to be in charge of it? But either Norwegians or Swedes. And indeed, I think the last Norwegian finally who who quit was um, Oscar in 1952. So they really held sway, Norwegians and Swedes, mm-hmm. uh, from 1924 until 1952. <laughs> okay, so the so the sport really has been, um, you know, the Norwegians really, you know, I guess they you know invented it, but they still helped it along towards its its um, competition path into um, the modern organization that we are now still a part of. People call it FIS, FIS, Federation yeah. Internationale yeah. de, de Ski. I, don't, yeah. I didn't say that right. But we're wrapping up the interview, and, uh, I, you know, there's so much more to talk about. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, there's just, you know, endless. There's, you know, there's, you know, 80 to 100 years to talk about. But um, I want to thank you for for giving us some of your stories, and you know I, I recognize how important it is to be a ski racing historian because there are so few, and um, it, it just it's it seems to get lost. So I was glad I was able to get a hold of you and you know get get some of it down, get some of it down right in my podcast here. I always have one question for my guests at the end, and it is a straight up question. Eastern mountains or Western mountains in the U.S., which do you prefer? Western. Western. Even though you live in the East. Right. Right. But my heart, my skiing heart is in the West. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? Um, it's, hard to, it's hard to argue with that one, but um, I am an unbiased journalist, and I come from the East, um, but I now live in the West, so I have seen the, I've seen the best of both worlds. Well, John, I want to, um, oh, and and then I always have one more, there's always two questions at the end. My second uh, question is more of a, you know, I want to thank you for giving me your time. Is there anything that you would like to um, advertise, promote, talk about, just anything um, at the end? Well, of course, uh, I would would very much appreciate if all your listeners um, would join the New England Ski Museum. Or if you're out in Vail, join the Vail Museum. But mm-hmm. um, we, do, we do a lot of things uh, that, that 
are more or less national in in scope and uh um, we have a we have a pretty good reputation on the on the whole. So how do you um, join the New England Ski Museum? Uh, if you look up on the internet, just New England Ski Museum, you'll find all sorts of information and the various telephone numbers and the email address and www and all that sort of thing. And um, it's uh, pretty inexpensive. It's, um, I, forget, I forget what it is now, 35 bucks, I think, individual, 50 for a family, something like that, and then on up. And we put out a journal four times a year mm-hmm. um, and a lot of, and do a lot of, a lot of other things. Well, so it's a it's a wonderful organization and doing, I think, very good, very good work. And if you want me to come back sometime, give me a call and I'd be happy to do it. We'd love to have you on because there's many more stories to tell. But uh, thanks you for bet. being on the show. Okay, bye-bye. On This Week in History. See you then.